0: this podcast brought to you by the Canadian Association of Radiology Resident and Fellow Section Hey everyone you're listening to Learning in the Dark
1: Hey everyone you're listening to Learning hey in the Dark Hey everyone you're listening, you're listening to Learning in the Dark Hey everyone you're listening to Learning in the Dark Hey everyone you're listening to Learning in the Dark you're you're listening to Learning.
0: Hi, my name's Rebecca.
1: And my name is James.
0: And you're listening to Learning in the Dark. Hello, radiology residents, and welcome back to Learning in the Dark the podcast aimed at making those dark on-call nights just a little brighter. My name's Rebecca.
1: And my name's James, and we're your co-hosts.
0: Amazing. So, this podcast targets those high-yield on-call pathologies that will prepare you for call, taking cases, and the boards. The game plan for today is to start out with an approach. James will take us through a case like he would in rounds, letting us in on his approach and formatting through the classic 4Ds of radiology. Detect... Describe, differential, and decision. These cases are available on our website, learninginthedark.com. Please follow along or just listen in as we embark on this radiological journey.
1: And we've got a great topic today, Rebecca.
0: Oh, really? What is it?
1: Topic is pancreatitis.
0: Ooh, no way. I'm very excited. Alrighty, James. Can you tell us your approach?
1: Yeah so when I suspect or when there's clinically suspected acute pancreatitis the first thing I do is find the pancreas and it's normally really easy to find it's just in the retroperitoneum there with the tail of it pointing right at the splenic hilum at the spleen itself so if you can find the spleen you can find the pancreas and then ideally if you're suspecting or doing dedicated imaging of the pancreas you get a, a multiphasic study so you get a non-contrast you get an arterial and you get a portal venous phase. So you get three phases. And the first thing I do is I pick up the non-contrast study, and I look at it just simply for calcifications. So calcifications are a marker of chronic pancreatitis, classically. And then the next thing I do is I bring up the arterial phase study. So the pancreas enhances most optimally in the arterial phase. So when you're looking for pancreatic necrosis, this is the sequence to use. So I bring up the arterial phase and I make sure that the pancreas enhances homogeneously that there's no areas that are darker than others Uh, and then I look at the uh, arteries on that scan as well just to make sure there's not a pseudoaneurysm or another complication of pancreatitis and then what I last do and what's the workhorse is the portal image sorry is the portal venous phase of imaging where you can assess for peripancreatic stranding uh, you can assess for fluid collections uh, you can assess for the SMV for uh, thrombus, the portal vein for thrombus, all the other complications of acute pancreatitis. And once I look at those three in combination, I get a pretty good sense of uh, whether it's, uh, what what type of pancreatitis it is and what complications are present. And then I try and distill that and condense that for the, uh, the requesting clinician.
0: So really taking in all of the phases of the CT.
1: Yeah, yeah, you got it. <laughs>
0: All right, so that leads us on to our first section in acute pancreatitis, Detect. Learning objectives. Detect. One, what are the top causes of acute pancreatitis? Two, what are the clinical signs and symptoms? Three, how does radiology fit into the diagnostic criteria? All right, so pancreatitis is actually fairly common. It's the third most common cause of hospital admission in the United States, which is pretty crazy. Um, and it's actually, its incidence is increasing and estimated at 40 in 100,000 people. So, not like, something that you're definitely going to see when you're on call. In terms of the pathophysiology, James, do you remember the mnemonic from med school?
1: Yeah, I mean there's a few of them but the one I think that I liked was I get smashed.
0: Yes, totally. It was actually my first consult as an MSI3 on internal medicine and that that mnemonic was drilled into my head. So, we're going to Yeah, go I'm through. sure
1: it was the scorpion bite. Oh,
0: 100%. I have always I tried to find some pictures of scorpion bite pancreatitis but I uh, was unlucky in my hunt.
1: Yeah, I think some question as to whether it's really a an entity or not.
0: It has to be. It's
1: always the scorpion, always the scorpion. Maybe if somebody's returning from Trinidad or Tobago.
0: <laughs> you never know. Uh, but the actual causes you've got idiopathic, being the eye, gallstones, ethanol, traumatic, steroids, mumps, slash measles, autoimmune, the dreaded scorpion, uh, hyperlipidemia or hypercalcemia, ERCP, and drugs. But the top ones that we're definitely going to see are gallstones and alcohol, um, and other things that you will probably come encounter uh, during radiology are uh, traumatic causes. ERCP, and autoimmune causes of pancreatitis.
1: Yeah, exactly. Those are the ones that we tend to see most often clinically. And the common thing is all the all these patients tend to present with acute, severe epigastric pain radiating to the back because the, the pancreas is in the retroperitoneum. So yeah, and the risk factors for having a severe episode of acute pancreatitis include older age, um, pancreatitis that's caused by alcohol, as well as obesity and early onset of organ failure. The severity Uh, of pancreatitis is, is mainly determined by clinical scoring systems that actually don't incorporate uh, organ criteria. Um, you know, necrotizing pancreatitis is its own subset of pancreatitis, which is associated with, with worse outcomes. But basically, um, pancreatitis can be classified into a few different ways, Um, whether it's early, less than one week or late, greater than one week as to whether it's mild in severity, having no organ failure, moderate with uh, early onset organ failure or severe, um, pancreatitis with persistent uh, organ failure. And uh, we'll talk a bit later about the different uh, subsets or, or types of acute pancreatitis, but basically the the necrotizing pancreatitis and uh, uh, interstitial or edematous pancreatitis are the two most common.
0: Oh, very exciting. Something to look forward to as we go on. Uh, diagnostic criteria. So there's a, you need two of the three following things. One, the classic clinical presentation of epigastric pain. Two, having an elevated lipase or amylase greater than three times the upper limit of normal, and three, the characteristic imaging findings of acute pancreatitis, hence the reason for this podcast.
1: <laughs> exactly. And and the, the pancreas is a really interesting organ. It's it's a retroperitoneal organ that's surrounded by, um, well, in, in medicine, one of my favorite words is peri, like surrounding. So I say it's surrounded by the peripancreatic fat. Uh, and it's got a few different portions, the head, um the neck, which is the portion that lies immediately anterior to the SMV. It's a common quiz question. And then the body and tail uh, being sort of the left portions of the pancreas. um, there's no real good differentiating features. Some people might say fifty percent. Um, of the way between the neck and the tip of the pancreas defines the body tail junction um, but I just generally speak broadly and then the incident process which is the portion which is just posterior to the superior mesenteric vessels um, it's a gland with both exocrine so digestive function as well as endocrine functions um, particularly with uh, with insulin production.
0: I know I always remember that in the anatomy lab we talk about how the tail of the spleen would tickle the hilum or sorry the tail of the pancreas would tickle the hilum of the spleen I thought it was kind of cute.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: Learning objectives.
1: Describe What's the imaging workup of acute pancreatitis? What are the key imaging findings of acute pancreatitis? And what complications should we be on the lookout for with an episode of pancreatitis?
0: Alright, so our imaging workup, CT, is the workhorse for the assessment of both the pancreas and pancreatitis complications. Ultrasound is actually also useful in the detection of gallbladder pathology, which is a common cause of the pancreatitis. Um, So type of imaging as per the ACR guidelines are based on the timing of the symptoms as well as patient factors. So, if you have a first presentation of epigastric pain with an elevated serum lipase or amylase, and you're less than 48 to 72 hours uh, post symptoms, then an ultrasound plus minus a CT of the abdomen pelvis with IV contrast uh, should be obtained in those circumstances. An MRI of the abdomen without and with IV contrast with MRCP could also be considered. In a first presentation of query acute pancreatitis, and other intra abdominal processes should be ruled out and you've got an equivocal amylase or lipase, then a CT abdopelvis pelvis with IV contrast is usually the go-to. If you've got a severely ill patient, um, like SIRS positive, like critically ill, this is like no bueno, CT once again is the workhorse of imaging. So James, can you tell us a bit about the ultrasound findings?
1: Yeah. So this, I think the single most important thing that the surgeons want to know with ultrasound is less so with the diagnosis of pancreatitis and more the cause of pancreatitis. So if you've got gallstones and pancreatitis, um, there is some evidence to suggest that doing a cholecystectomy when everything resolves um, can lead to better outcomes in the future or prevent further episodes of pancreatitis. So the main thing that the surgeons want to know from us on ultrasound is Uh, are there gallstones or not now there are ultrasound findings of pancreatitis like a large gland um, with heterogeneous echotexture. there could be ascites or or mass effect from uh, pancreatic collection Um, but the main thing is is gallstones and associated um, biliary disease like if there's an obstructing gallstone um, in the uh, around the ampulla which is causing um, duct dilation as well and so uh, that's mainly what we're looking for with ultrasound rather than the diagnosis of pancreatitis itself.
0: Gotcha. So the stuff around it. So that leads us on to our workhorse, the CT. Uh, so timing of attaining the CT, I thought that was actually interesting is that the early stages, uh, right after somebody's symptomatic, can actually be misleading because they may the imaging actually um, is a little bit delayed. The imaging findings are a little bit delayed as compared to the symptomatology in patients. Um so the timing is really dependent. The optimal phases is the pancreatic parenchymal phase, as James so kindly mentioned to us in his approach. So you have got this late arterial at approximately forty seconds, which is uh, optimal at looking at the pancreatic um, anatomy. Um, the goals of the CT is to determine both the presence of pancreatitis, grade the severity, and detect complications, as well as provide a guide for our surgeons as well as uh, interventionalists in terms of uh, intervention. All right, James. So what are we going to be looking for?
1: Yeah. So the first thing is what type of pancreatitis it is. Um, and so this is not based on the acuity or the severity. This is whether it's um, the interstitial or edematous pancreatitis, which is a pancreas that is just, it's edematous. So it's sw- its like anything in the body when it gets um, swollen and inflamed, it gets enlarged uh, and you kind of lose the the normal um uh infolding of the pancreas maybe that's not the best word but the normal lobulation of the pancreas you start to lose that i like the word Uh, lobulation. (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's a good word and that stands in contrast to necrotizing pancreatitis and this is pancreas that is dying or has died off and so the key imaging finding of this is this is pancreas that does not enhance uh which is again best seen on the arterial phase and often best seen uh, a few days after the onset of acute pancreatitis And so this classification scheme, you can look it up, it's called the Atlanta classification and and it's a common uh, sort of quizzing uh, collection, but really at the end of the day, um, we're assessing for fluid collections as well. Uh, And so these I actually do divide into acute and chronic and the acute and chronic findings you either get from, or the, the chronicity of how long this has been going on for, you get from either the referring clinician or from earlier imaging studies. And so with the interstitial pancreatitis, i don't want to get too bogged down in the details of this but you can basically get peripancreatic fluid collections and these are simple collections of fluid um, which are typically not very well encapsulated Uh, and these stand in contrast to the acute necrotic collections which you see with necrotizing pancreatitis and with these collections in addition to fluid there's necrotic material within them so this is the pancreatic enzymes that are spilling into the pancreatic tissues or the peripancreatic tissues and causing um, regional tissue death and destruction and so these are nasty uh, collections and then as time goes by the acute pancreatic fluid collections will morph into what are called pseudocysts chronically so after um, four weeks or so they're they're described as pseudocysts and you'll find some people that will call any pancreatic collection or peripancreatic collection a pseudocyst but strictly speaking it's one that's seen with <laughs> interstitial edematous pancreatitis that becomes Uh, then becomes a a pseudocyst after that and the acute necrotic collection which we talked about for the necrotizing pancreatitis that also evolves and over time it develops a thick sort of encapsulated wall and it becomes walled off necrosis Uh, and then these are sort of the the collections so acutely we have acute peripancreatic fluid collections acute necrotic collections and chronically pseudocysts and walled off necrosis and you can look all this stuff up afterwards and based on the type of pancreatitis that's present, try and classify it into which. But the main thing that we're trying to determine is is there necrosis and is there a collection.
0: That's great. Okay, so really it's just like those two flowcharts. Is it interstitial, is it necrotizing, and then characterize the fluid collections around it?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great place to start with acute pancreatitis.
0: Okay, awesome. Um, so other things that the CT really does fantastic at is looking for complications. And so, um, these are the things that can cause a lot of morbidity and mortality for patients. So things that you should be looking for are like a pancreatic abscess. You get this purulent collection with thick, irregular walls, and you may or may not actually see gas bubbles within, um, you can get infected necrosis, which usually occurs in the second to fourth week of the pancreatitis episode, um, it's one of the most severe complications and it's a common cause of a death actually in acute pancreatitis. So watch out for it. You get, once again, these gas bubbles, which are present. Um, you can get, um, fluid culture that's positive. You actually have tapped the fluid collection as well. Um, and you can also get as a subset of infected necrosis, this central gland necrosis, um, that represents this full thickness necrosis often within the duct and with which involves the ductal system and that can lead to persistent collections because it actually involves the duct. so they're draining into that collection um and it's important as it does not always respond to endoscopic therapy
1: yeah just on the topic of complications it it can sometimes be very hard on imaging to determine what's infected and what's not and i'd argue that that's probably more the role of of getting a tissue diagnosis either from percutaneously sampling uh or or um or uh, endoscopic or surgical sampling of it in order to determine whether it's infected or not um, ct can help us target and figure out what's uh what's amenable for um, sampling but yeah the imaging diagnosis of infection can be really challenging and yeah the central gland necrosis like you're saying that's a pancreatic duct that's essentially transected and you've got the uh the portion of the pancreas towards the spleen that's secreting enzymes uh, and it's just all ending up in the pancreas and peripancreatic tissues
0: Yikes. Absolutely yikes. So those are more the intrapancreatic complications. What about the extra pancreatic complications, James?
1: Yeah, so you can get, just like you have inflammation in your pancreas, um, you can get reactive inflammation uh, in the surrounding organs. Um, so you can get reactive uh, duodenitis or uh, enteritis colitis. Um, you can have um, pseudocysts that then cause Uh, mass effect which can lead to things like uh, gastric outlet obstruction um, or uh, you can end up with bleeding into pseudocysts Um, sometimes from erosion into the splenic artery you can get pseudoaneurysms typically of the splenic artery Um, you can end up with uh, thrombus in the smv or portal vein and then you end up sometimes with the (laughs) combination of all of them where you've got active bleeding um, into a Peripancreatic collection, while you've got thrombus in the SMV, and so there's some. Uh, <laughs> you can see it's it's sort of both a procoagulable and also a prohemorrhagic state.
0: Bloody, clotty mess. Oh my goodness, those poor patients. That's tough to. That would be very challenging to go through.
1: Yeah, it is, and it's these patients uh, when they have these bad complications are, are are critically ill. Yeah. For the most part.
0: Learning objectives. Differential. What else should we be considering?
1: And decision. How do the radiologic findings influence treatment? Yeah, so when I see like non specific, say like very mild, non specific peripancreatic inflammation, um, then I start to think about regional, other regional inflammatory processes. So is it a, a gastritis or duodenitis, which is causing some inflammation in that region? Sometimes we see non-specific inflammation extending into the root of the small bowel mesentery, which is very close to the pancreas. And some people have turned this mesenteric haziness or maybe mesenteric paniculitis, depending on how severe it is. And so that can be a chronic process. And so uh, those are, I think, the main entities that are mistaken sometimes for pancreatitis or for which you need to provide a differential. So if you see isolated... Pancreatic haziness in the region of the pancreatic head, that could be duodenitis or pancreatitis. And often they might need a a lipase to help sort that out, or or maybe even endoscopy to make sure that there's not um, severe primary duodenitis. Um, And then other pancreatic lesions are also in the differential diagnosis. So, um, pancreatic ductal adenocarcinoma typically, these are uh, lesions which enhance less than that of pancreas. So, sometimes they can sort of look like necrotizing pancreatitis, although. Often with these, there's some um, pretty distinctive features, and they don't cause the same degree of um, peripancreatic inflammation uh, that uh, that pancreatitis does. Um, chronic pancreatitis, uh, again, is, is always something to consider, or acute on chronic pancreatitis, particularly if you see a lot of calcifications uh, in the region of the pancreas. Um, groove pancreatitis is a very specific entity about where it's a fibrosis in the pancreatic oduodenal groove. Again, this is a mimicker of all sorts of things, pancreatic adenocarcinoma, uh, et cetera. So there's a number of things, um, both in in the differential uh, and uh, other things to consider when you see pancreatitis.
0: Yeah, it's good Good to keep an open mind, right? Because you just you just don't know. And I did see a couple of cases, uh, even just looking, these, they're uh, researching for the podcast and you got like autoimmune pancreatitis sometimes can look a little bit... Um, fairly focal um so it's just good to keep keep an open mind
1: yeah autoimmune pancreatitis is a really interesting one because um you often don't have the same degree of peri you get the swelling but you don't typically have the same degree of peripancreatic inflammation uh and so uh this is a challenging one so young people have often what uh what looks like a fairly um what what might be described as an edematous pancreas in an older person might be totally normal for a younger person so uh, I'm not sure if that's quite making sense, but as you get older, you get more fatty infiltration and fatty atrophy of the pancreas, whereas young people have <laughs> fairly juicy pancreases. Uh, and juicy, so sometimes I've seen, got it. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes I've seen what's just a normal young person's pancreas mistaken as being autoimmune pancreatitis. So uh, in this case, the, the clinical presentation, as well as uh, other entities like the lipase and, uh, and imaging findings all have to be taken in conjunction.
0: Love it. Team environment. We got to work with our referring clinicians. All right. So this leads us on to our decision. And the decision to intervene in pancreatitis is largely driven by the severity of symptoms that the patient's presenting with. Um, It's a stepwise approach to treatment. So you've got things like conservative management, radiological intervention, and then surgical intervention. In terms of conservatives, so they've got like pain and IV fluids, as well as actually they've moved more towards early oral feeding um, within 24 hours or like enteral feeding, as opposed to uh, strict NPO, which used to be part of the guidelines. Um, And then just based on the severity uh, the clinical severity scoring systems that we mentioned before, the kind of decision as to whether patients require ICU admission will also be assessed. What about radiological interventions, James? What kind of things are we looking for?
1: Yeah, so the the main thing that we we would intervene on radiologically is percutaneously uh, intervening on peripancreatic collections, either for diagnosis, i.e. to see if they are infected or not, or for treatment to try and drain them. And some of these, many of these necrotic collections are full of thick material. It's necrotic tissue. Uh, and we try and put these small drains in because you can only put so so big of a tube in percutaneously. And, and many of them, I think, are sort of uh, not the most optimal strategy for draining what's a, a thick collection. And so sometimes these patients require either multiple drainages or multiple modalities like radiologic, endoscopic, plus or minus surgical interventions um, to really uh, to treat these uh, collections if they're causing symptoms.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, surgical interventions are interesting. It's once again, the... Timing can be delayed just to make sure that they're um, actually these walled off collections. And then they have also a stepwise approach going from less uh, invasive to most invasive, which logically makes sense. I do, James, have you seen this video assisted uh, retroperitoneal debridement? I've never seen that. I hadn't seen that in clerkship nor in my off service year. And I was just curious about it.
1: Um, I actually haven't seen it. This is my favorite thing to say on this podcast. I'm not a surgeon and I. I never claim to be, um, but uh, <laughs> it sounds like a really, in- sounds like a really interesting approach. That's for sure.
0: Absolutely. Um, luckily, so there can be improvement and resolution of these symptoms for patients. Uh, so mild pancreatitis, you don't have any organ failure, and the expected outcomes is improvement within the first week. Uh, for moderate severe. Um, pancreatitis the clinical condition is determined by the signs of sepsis and mortality does increase uh, when and if the patient does have necrotizing pancreatitis so our radiological uh, correlation is very important for these patients but once again clinical correlation required and really important it's an important <laughs> i know it's a terrible it's a terrible term uh, but it's important You're to, meant to
1: put it at the end of each of your reports actually am i Every part of uh, part okay. of the, yeah exactly
0: Chest x-ray, clinical correlation required, everything. You got it. <laughs> yeah, but definitely learn learn for your patients once again. Any final words for us, James?
1: Yeah, I think my, my takeaways from pancreatitis imaging is, is, is the more I go on, the more I realize that, again, the most sometimes that we can do to help guide management of these patients is to assess the complications, and uh, unless you know the complications, you can't start assessing for them so uh, i mean uh, the diagnosis of pancreatitis is rarely in question like we're talking about fairly typical presentation typical lab findings very sick patients for the most part Um, but it's it's our detection and description and treatment of the complications i think that really makes uh, a difference for these patients
0: amazing i really i like that takeaway All right, guys. Well, that wraps up the case for this week. Hopefully we shed some light on acute pancreatitis while you were learning in the dark. Please check out our website at learninginthedark.com for the cases, show notes, and a link to our survey to provide us with feedback for future episodes. Until next time, stay happy and healthy and adios.
1: Thanks, Rebecca.